even people of that age who have lived a full life um, so often tell me, well, my life wasn't interesting, or I don't have the stories to tell. But once they get talking, those stories flow and build upon one another in such rich ways, and the lessons become apparent. And the, the longer you speak, the deeper the narrative often becomes. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing, with your host, Amy Woods-Butler. Hi guys, Amy here. If you're new to the show, this is where we talk about helping clients record their memories, their stories, to share with their kids and their grandkids and family, friends, future generations. They can't do it on their own, so they come to us for our help. And today we have Dawn Rude of Modern Heirloom Books. She's got some great products, including some specialty products that you're definitely going to want to hear about. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to a woman who does audio life stories. Joellen Anklam came to me when she was in the process of just getting ready to start her her life story business. And she uh, we did some coaching sessions together. And since then, she has launched Story Canoe. You guys need to check out her website and especially the samples of audios that she has um, on the website. She is doing some really beautiful stuff, very interesting and very, very compelling. So Joellen came to this, you know, I've mentioned this before that so many of us start in other careers. Joellen has had a long and successful career as a voice actor. And she's taken her skills as a voice actor and created a product that I'm not quite sure anybody else is doing. So in addition to doing regular life story audio projects, she also has things like dramatizations. Um, she'll take episodes of somebody's life and create something that's a little bit like a radio show about them. And one of the things that she did, so there's also a, a bit of a scaled down version of that where she's adding sound effects and um, music, so background tracks, with having the person's voice telling their own stories. And one of them, I was just, I was on the edge of my seat. Listen to the one about the woman telling the story when she and her cousins were playing with an electric fence on the family farm. It was, it was, it's a great story. Um, so I encourage you to check it out, especially if you're interested in doing any kind of life story audio projects. Head over to storycanoe.com and I'll put a link on the show notes to help you find that too. And today's interview, as I said, is with Dawn Rood of Modern Heirloom Books. Dawn recently relaunched her company and the website, and she's got some really interesting products that I think you're going to want to hear about, including a high-end legacy book for brides. Um, we're going to get into all of that. First, a really brief introduction. Dawn came to life story writing through the lifestyle magazine business. So she she worked for companies including Vogue and Vanity Fair and Harper's Bazaar. Her roles always straddled the editorial and the art sides of the business. And you can 
absolutely see that in her business that she runs today. Um, she began Modern Heirloom Books about two years ago. And just last month, so in uh, that would have been in July of 2018, she relaunched her website and uh, signature product lines. She's a certified personal photo organizer as well. And she says she's been a memory keeper her whole life. She's always loved to keep journals and scrapbooks. So let's jump into our interview with Dawn Rude. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Oh, I'm very happy to have you on and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Before you started Modern Heirloom Books, you had a career as a journalist in lifestyle magazines. I'm curious why the jump from that into doing life stories? I think there are so many people transitioning out of the media world right now. Just it's an industry in great transition, unfortunately, sadly for me in many ways. Um, I feel like I was in it in the heyday of the magazine publishing, which I'm very fortunate. I, I loved my time in the magazine world. And I was fortunate to always straddle the art side with the editorial side. I got a lot of the business in there. So I feel like it fed me in so many ways professionally, and I was able to grow. But the business as a whole has just changed so dramatically that I wanted to do something that I was able to use my talents, but deal with people one on one a lot more. Um, so to follow my own path and use the same talents. And for me, um, it juxtaposed with a personal something that happened in my personal life was with that my mother passed away very unexpectedly when my son was about three months old. So oh. I was still on my maternity leave, um, figuring out my next steps professionally. I had every intention of going back to magazines. But when I eventually created an heirloom book in honor of my mother, I, I did a tribute book for her. It was so healing and such a rewarding process for me. Uh, somewhere along the line, I had an epiphany that I wanted to do that for other people as well. So I still deal with a lot of those people um, and the talent from that industry, but I'm, I'm putting those talents in a much more personal direction. I've talked to a lot of people who get into this business because they wanted to save an elder of the family, their story. But boy, to lose your mother when you have an infant, I my heart goes out to you and I can absolutely see um, why that would have spurred on that kind of project. And then, you know, how lucky that it probably opened your eyes to a passion that you might not have ever known that you would have had. So you found your path, even though I'm sure it was a hard path to travel. Um, I'm glad that you brought up the the part about the art and the business. We all bring certain skills with us and talents, like you said. And what a boon for you to have both a business background and an art background. I'm interested how that applies, the things that you learned in the magazine world, and how you've carried that over into the books that you're producing. Sure. You know, it's been about a two-year journey for me, I think, to find the types of books that I really wanted to create that best used my strengths, but also really resonated with the people who are reading the books. And for me, that's what I try to do the most is create a book that someone will pick up and look at often. Um, and most importantly for me, that will generate new stories. So what I really want to do is have the book be a living heirloom so that whosoever stories we've captured 
the next generation will pick it up and say, oh my gosh, look what my grandmother told me, or this resonates with me, and this is what happened to me, and begin sharing their own stories with, again, the next generation. For me, when I lost my mom, as you mentioned, my son was three months old. So for me, I was over the moon with joy and also overwhelmed with grief, right? It was a really interesting time to navigate um, in that regard. But all I wanted to do was talk about my mother with people. And I have a very small family. No one was really close to me who I could share those stories with. And as crazy as it sounds, I found myself talking to my newborn, right? Telling him stories about my mom. Um, my son was with me when I was cleaning out my mother's house. Um, so I would find things that reminded me of her and begin to just talk to him as I was doing it. And each book I created, I think it hit home further for me that the storytelling itself, the, the gathering of the memories in an interview setting was as much a gift as the final book. So for me, Using what I learned in magazines, um, we really wanted a lot of entry points for people, right? So if you have someone skimming a magazine and they don't want to read a 2,000-word article necessarily, um, they might read a pull quote. They might read the headline and the captions. And something might captivate them enough to then go back to read the whole article. Um, and I feel like with as media has changed and the way we consume our media has changed on devices, attention spans are shorter. And I really love incorporating images in beautiful ways, but in ways that draw you in to want to read a longer story, if that makes sense. So the captions tell a story, the pull quotes tell a story, they bring you closer to the person who is sharing their history. Um, but they also, for me, like I said, generate conversation among the people who are reading the book. That that all makes a lot of sense. Okay, so just in case people don't know a pull quote, can you give the definition that's uh, you know that's something that we see in article or in magazines all the time. We don't necessarily see them in life story books, although I I think that they are a very good idea. Can you describe what that is? Yeah, sure. So and and I'm sorry if I use some technical terminology, um but a pull quote is a quote that is just pulled out of the text and graphically set a little bit larger. So you read it. So it looks like a headline. So when you're flipping through a magazine and sometimes you see a, a bolder quotation, that would be a pull quote. And I use a lot of the design devices from magazines to really bring people's stories to life. It's why I call my books coffee table books, because I want people to be able to open them at any page and read them. The stories are still incredibly edited and told in a way that is engaging, but I feel it's important that people don't take spend a lot of time on a history book such as this and then have it sit on a bookshelf. Mm -hmm. Um to me, it's really important that those stories be passed on and are engaging. Mm -hmm. And then what does that look like um, as far as the bulk of the text goes? The books that you're doing, if they're coffee table books, and you and I had talked earlier and you said that you want somebody to be able to pick up one of the books and just dive in at whatever page. So is it one continuous narrative or do you sometimes chunk them out in, according to themes or eras or, or something like that? So I always say that the the person telling the stories leads me on how the book should be created. So it varies, but my books tend not to be chronological, like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. I sometimes refer to the way I tell the stories as life story vignettes. 
So I will capture a lot of um, memories. And then depending on the themes that resonate from what someone has told me, we will group things accordingly. So it could be from time periods in someone's life, it could be family time. Um, but there, there could be a, you know, 7000 word chunk of narrative, but it will be broken up by images and quotes and and maybe even a fun list or a graphic that tells the stories in just more engaging ways. Mm-hmm. So there, there still will be on occasion, 200 pages of text. Um, but for me, it's it doesn't look like a novel. It looks like a book that you can just open up and dive in. Yeah, that's a really interesting approach. And I think that um, I know my books tend to be one long flow of narrative. So divided up into chapters. Um, almost always, it's chronological. Um, the structure is a chronological one, just because it, it suits the story, that type of story the best. But I can absolutely see how it would be great, you know, ex- especially if you're, if you want to engage people who maybe haven't hit that age where they're terribly interested in an elder story. So I'm talking about, you know, if if you're not a 60-year-old woman and your father's 85 and you haven't heard all of his stories, so it's, you know, you're going to want to read a a long book about him, but maybe you're the grandchild and you haven't quite hit, you know, you're you're not quite mature enough to realize, oh my gosh, all of the life stories that that the elder is sharing. So I like that idea a lot. Now, do you do anything? It sounds like you probably do some interesting stuff with photo captions as well. Do you tend to ever have long captions or do you use those as design elements as well? I definitely do. To me, sometimes the captions are repeating something that is in the the narrative, but most often I try, and this is definitely a magazine habit, I try to have something completely new in the caption. So it is important for me, these are historical documents. I definitely want the full name of the person that is photographed there, the year and the context of the photo whenever possible. But I often elaborate and have it be another storytelling mechanism. So there might be a very deep caption with that relevant information, the data uh, in the beginning, followed by a few quotes that that begin to tell the story and invite the reader in even more. What One thing that I find interesting is even people of that age who have lived a full life um, so often tell me, well, my life wasn't interesting, or I don't have the stories to tell. But once they get talking, as you know, I'm sure from your experience, those stories flow and build upon one another in such rich ways, and the lessons become apparent. And the, the longer you speak, the deeper the narrative often becomes. And I think it's important to layer that. So as you say, someone from a younger generation might just read those captions and and someone, their parents might get in there and say, oh my gosh, how special that I captured this for my mom. I never heard her put it in quite this way. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the story is fleshed out in the narrative, um, but it's told also through those longer captions and, and other graphic elements as well. Right. And I've, I've found the same thing too, as, as far as just doing the interviews, um, there's usually, and I tell people this before we start because I don't want them to, 
to um, feel surprised by it, something that they weren't expecting. But usually there's a honeymoon period where they're telling the stories at the very beginning, you know, the early interviews, they're telling the stories that they've told a lot of times before, the stories that bring them joy, the memories that are um, sort of like an, you know, a, a well-worn pair of favorite jeans, you know, that we like to pull them on because they feel good. Um, and then there is always a very distinct point when it drops down to a deeper level. And they start, they don't necessarily have to be talking about things that are really um, traumatic or tragic or anything, but then they do get into the things that, um, that are deeper, you know, that, that um, are meaningful to them, but maybe it's not something that they've really pulled out into the light of the day and reflected on very much um, because, you know, who, who does that very often? Um, and that's something that they are usually surprised at during the process. And it can be, it adds to that that fulfilling feeling of talking about your life to somebody who's never heard your stories before. Oh, I, I agree. And I love that expression. You said it's like well-worn shoes. I think you said um, there are some stories that they're like family lore. They, they're told over and over. And, you know, when daddy was young, he did this. Um, and those are important to cap- to capture as well. Uh, but once you get deeper, and as you said, it's not necessarily a traumatic experience or a major turning point, but sometimes it's very small decisions that were made in someone's life that took a turn. And once they have a listener and the time and the space to share and reflect, it, it's truly a gift, I feel. Exactly. And that is one of the things that I wish people could know ahead of time. But 100% of the people that I work with, they have, before we start the interview process, they have no idea what the the conversations are going to mean to them. It's not until we start that, that they realize that for them, it usually is equally, if not more important than the end product, you know, than receiving the book. It, it, they, it speaks to different needs, um, but it's, it's, it's so powerful. And I wish more people would realize that because so many more people would, you know, be wanting to find life story professionals like us to help them do their stories or the stories of their loved ones. Well, okay. I want to actually turn a little bit and uh, you you said that you started your company, which is Modern Heirloom Books. You started it about two years ago. So I'd like for you to talk a little bit about what challenges you had being new to the career. And then we can talk a little bit about the changes that you made and why you made those changes. Sure. Well, the challenges were many. Let's say that in the beginning. I never expected to find myself on an entrepreneurial path, truly. Um, once I got there and once I made the decision to commit to the business, I had great faith in my abilities to execute the types of books I wanted. But the business side, despite the fact that I had, you know, overseen budgets and overseen staffing and had launched new magazines, that business side was still very intimidating. And particularly because the industry, I'm not even sure you could call it an industry mm-hmm. at a certain point. Um, there were there are so many names we were calling ourselves by collectively, and I still think that's the case. And and that's okay. I think we're finding our way as an industry. But there was no one I found to look to to say, I want to do it exactly like that. Uh, that was much more challenging than I anticipated. And the sales part came very difficult to me. 
Um, I had gone out on sales calls, for example, at Harper's Bazaar and at other magazines I worked at. And I was very good at talking about the benefits and the pros of, of putting your money behind something. But once it became mine and there was a personal attachment to it, it's really hard to put yourself out there and to potentially hear no. Um, so those were huge struggles for me in the beginning, defining exactly where I wanted my business to go, the price points I wanted to set, um, and being able to talk about it in a way that didn't make me feel bad, if that makes sense. I sometimes felt guilty. like I felt like I'm selling something very intimate and personal and valuable, but the salesmanship behind it made me feel almost dirty. I, I think that's a weird word to use, but for someone who had never been in sales, um, that was tough for me. I think that's a very common thing that almost everybody that I've talked to, almost all of our colleagues have gone through the same thing. And it is, it's a process to bring yourself from one um, frame of thought to another. And for me, it's just a matter of thinking, well, I can't do this as a volunteer. I mean, I, I do usually have at least one volunteer project going at any given time because I think that it's, it's important to give back to the world in the best way that you can. But in general, um, if the services and the products that we're providing for people, if we're not able to make a living doing it, then they don't get those, you know, then the world, their life is poorer for the fact that we didn't grapple with this conflict, you know, this inner conflict of saying, okay, this is what a book is worth, or, you know, this is what a project is worth. So how did you, was it just a matter of practice? Or what did you, what steps did you take to make that better for you and get good at the sales conversations? Well, I'm not so sure I'm good at it yet. <laughs> but I will say that, you know, I read a lot, I read some certain books were very helpful to me. But until you get out there and you put yourself out there and you fail, and I had heard that advice from so many people, but I didn't want to accept it. I'm someone who generally went out and did well when I, when I tried something new. So to know that I needed to go out and maybe learn from some failures was, was really tough for me. Um, but honestly, talking about the books when I wasn't necessarily ready was definitely uh, the, the step that I needed to take, because I was able to hear the questions people had, I was able mostly to realize what I didn't yet know. Um, and the best piece of advice I ever got, and I got this from books and from people, business people with whom I had networked was make it easy to buy. Mm. And I think what I struggled with is that none of this is easy to buy. Um, I couldn't find anyone where it was like you go and you buy and you say, yes, I'm going to get that life storybook. I'm going to do that. Um, there's so many variables. There's so many, does someone want to be interviewed just about their war stories or do they want to be interviewed about their entire life? Do they really want to be interviewed at all? Might it make them feel uncomfortable? Do they want a book? Do they want a video? How much do you spend on something like this? If you've never heard of it before, you have no idea as a, as a customer, a consumer, what you might want to invest in something like this. So the challenge I gave myself about a year ago was try to make the process easier for the consumer. Um, I had not up until that point published prices and I had not published any kind of package. I wanted to be as 
open-ended as possible. I wanted to offer everything. And I realized that was overwhelming for a, a, a person who even was really interested in what I was selling. Uh, so I relaunched my website and I spent a full year coming up with signature products and putting price points on them by actually doing the products. So in mm-hmm. some cases, I even did a few books for free so that I could have confidence in my pricing and in what I wanted to offer. Uh, that, in turn, makes me much more confident in the sales part because I know how much time it took to create a particular book. I know the variables and I'm confident when I put a number to it that I can talk about it intelligently with someone. Uh, So it makes me feel better and more equipped during that sales process, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So when you are sitting down across from somebody um, and you you are presenting the package and you're presenting the price to them, do you get very much into the details of, you know, it costs this much because I am doing this and this and this? Or is it you're showing them a sample book and saying, this is the sample book and it costs X dollars? So the I generally will have a a free consultation where I really want to hear what they're looking for and I will bring samples. So for me, it's not, I I never want to sound like I'm justifying my price, that it's because I do this, this, or this. I never quote an hourly rate. Um, Although my prices are all based on that and are, if someone really wanted to get into the nitty gritty and wanted to understand, I could do that with them. But I think that that's more alienating than helpful But what I do find helpful is pulling out a book and saying, well, here's an example that's something like what you are looking for, it sounds like. And something like this would cost in the range of here to here. Um, And then we can talk about, well, can it get lower or what would make it higher? Um, But it becomes in terms of what they want and not in terms of the money. Um, Mm -hmm. So in terms of what the book could be for them, and I do find that the books themselves are the best selling tool, so that that when they see other people's stories come to life, and realize that that could be their own words and their own photographs, um, it, it makes the conversation just more fruitful. Absolutely. I mean, every time I show a potential client sample books, you 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 could actually see them across the table. You know, if you meet in a coffee shop at their house or something, you can see them pick up the book and you can see them project their life into that book. I mean, it's almost it's almost like you can physically see that happening, especially when they start talking about stories. You know, they'll see the picture of somebody they don't know in a book about a person they've never met. And that will that will bring forth a memory of something specific to their life. And uh, yeah, that's that's the same for me. The biggest selling point is being able to put those books in their hands and say, here, have a look at what I've done for somebody else. It's magic. And I will say, getting back to the business side and my struggles, one of the struggles I had was not always listening to conventional business wisdom. So I was told by a few early mentors who were incredibly successful business people, you can't rely on showing someone the product to have to sell it, or you can't rely on a half hour free consultation. That's too much of your time invested. And that I struggled with that for the longest time. And then I thought, you know what, my, maybe my business model is a little different and what I'm selling 
is different. Once I accepted that maybe I didn't always have to listen to the business advice I was given, it was a great freedom for me. I was I, I allowed myself to experiment a little more and see what worked for me. Um, so I think that there's a wealth of business knowledge out there. And I, I do advise finding a mentor um, or multiple mentors or networking. I have benefited from that greatly. But sometimes your gut is right. And that was an important lesson for me. I had the same experience with one of my business mentors who knew nothing about the life story business. And there are so many rules that just don't apply. I mean, we're, we're not selling something that is uh, a commodity that they can find anywhere else. And I know there are other products like ours out there, you know, that, that also are not highly commoditized, but there's not that many. And so you can't, you can't say, you know, if you're selling widgets, uh, of course, you're not going to sit down for somebody within a half hour or for a half hour or an hour. Um, but for this kind of project where you have to establish a relationship with a person, they have to see that they can trust you with their memories, you know, with stories that they've potentially never told anybody else. Um, absolutely, you have to do certain things like having that initial conversation. Um, so yeah, some of some of the business advice is great. And some of it we just have to let fall by the wayside because it does not apply to the life story business. Yeah. And, and as I just said, it, it was hard for me because with business not being my strong suit coming into this, I felt like I needed to listen to every little nugget that I got, you know, so so I think coming to terms with that took a little longer than I anticipated. <laughs> but, you know, well, it sounds like you're there or on your way, so that's great. Right. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I'd really love to hear you talk about your dear daughter uh, books, legacy books that are for brides. Um, it's, I think, it sounds like a wonderful niche. And why don't you tell us a little bit why you decided to do these? And, but start off by telling us what they are. Sure. So, so one of the products that I recently launched is called Dear Daughter on Your Wedding Day. And I, I joke that it's the book guaranteed to make your daughter cry tears of joy on her wedding day. But in reality, so far for every book I've done, that has been the reality. Um, oh, so they need to give these books before the makeup goes on. <laughs> yes, exactly. I actually, I market it at, in that way. But I, I tell parents who are gifting their daughter with this book that maybe you should do it at the rehearsal dinner the day before. Um <laughs> You know, it's a gift. It's such a niche product. And I never thought I would do something um, so specific. But there is a real business reason behind my doing it. It's a book that I discovered by doing for one individual and realized I could do it for more people where I interview the both parents of the bride to be. Uh, we we kind of go back through her memories and her history from the from her first steps till now she's going to be walking down the aisle, which is in a very emotional journey for the parents. So it's a really great time to solicit those memories um, and go through the photos and the mementos. And then we also include wisdom for the future, and we include some space at the end where the the bride can actually write in her dreams for the future as she's on the precipice of this next chapter of her life. And so the, the first book was hugely rewarding for me. It was just such a beautiful thing. We were focusing mostly on happy memories and the journey of this bride, which obviously that's not always the case uh, when you're doing a life story book. And of course, we were including struggles and, and difficult experiences. But because the milestone of getting married 
was just such a big one in her life. And the parents wanted to inject so much meaning into it. For me, as the listener, I felt like a recipient of these stories was even a gift to me. Mm. Uh, So it was a joyful process. It was something that fed my soul as a life storyteller. But the more I thought about it from a business standpoint, as I mentioned before, the biggest struggle is how do you market something so expansive? How do you make it easy to buy? This product had a built-in marketing plan. Um, The wedding industry is a huge one, and it is very easy to market to a smaller target audience. So the thinking behind it was, let me make this part of my signature products because that individual will hopefully come back to me for more stories in the future. Mm. Um, That was a gut feeling, and it was also based on some demographic research, but it's already proving true, and I've put no money behind it yet in terms of paid advertising. Um, But word of mouth has brought me new books in terms of the bride loved her book so much and heard her parents talk about the process, and now she's getting a book celebrating them for their anniversary. Mm. Mm. Um, and, I, and so that's the thinking behind it is this customer will hopefully, number one, spread spread the word, but hopefully they're young enough that they can come back and be lo- a loyal customer. Um, so the twofold thing there, it was the, the really targeted marketing that comes with this. Uh, I'm finding it a lot easier to figure out a route to get the word out there about these particular books. And then hopefully that will help support the other books that I love to do as well. That's genius, Dawn. Because, (laughs) you know, I mean, in business, going back to conventional business advice is you want to, it's easier to retain an existing customer than it is to go out and find a new one. And I've thought, I've thought long and hard about how I could apply that to um, to my life story writing business because generally when people do a life story, um, you know, if they're 75 or 80 or 85, they're not going to have um, a second volume coming out uh, years later. I, I mean, that, that could potentially happen. And I have had um, a couple of my younger clients who've said, oh, I'm going to need to update this in a few years. So far, it hasn't happened. And I haven't really been able to figure out, well, uh, you know, how, unless it's, you know, a husband doing the book and then, and the wife then decides that she wants a book too. But in general, it's not a very easy way to figure out how to have multiple, sell multiple projects within a same family. So I think that's genius of you to um, come up with this idea because I, I can also see where if if the parents um, are telling the stories about their daughter, um, how that could maybe inspire them to either tell like not not the daughter, um, but actually inspire the parents to say, oh, we need to leave a story about our own life. Or if you think about the demographics, um, you know, if you've got a daughter uh, who's getting married, you know, that puts her in whatever it could be any age but in general like sort of a certain age bracket and then maybe the parents are you know 60ish or so and and their parents are elderly so i can see i could see if they have a really good experience telling you the stories about their daughter how they might say oh you know our our parents are getting older we need to look at doing something for them now um so really i'm i'm impressed by your marketing savvy 
Uh, well, you know what else it is? It's thank you for that. But it's also my belief that it doesn't always have to be, <clears throat> excuse me, the older generation that we market to. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience, and I, and I think quite a few other professionals who I've spoken to, are often selling to the children. The children want to capture their parents' stories, as you say. And absolutely, it might be that 60-year-old parent, in, in my case of the bride, right, um, who wants to capture their parents' stories. But often it might be the millennial who wants to capture their grandparents' story. And what I find is at these milestones in life, when there are transitions, whether it's a wedding, a funeral, right, a loss of a loved one, the emotions and the sentiment around our loved ones and our family are when we realize, oh, we need to capture these stories. Again, it goes back to that. Do I want to market at these times of vulnerability? And does that make me feel not right? Um, it did for a long time. And then I thought, no, because what I'm quote unquote marketing to these people is something that will enrich their lives and make their life better. And it just happens to be a time, I think, when they're open to hearing about it. The definition of us taking advantage of somebody is if they regretted having it done afterwards. And I seriously doubt that any of the people that are getting the life story books from you or the bride book or the uh, dear daughter books from you, I seriously doubt that any of them are regretting it afterwards. So that to me is proof that no, we're, we're providing them something. We're in, like you said, we're enriching their life. And, you know, a good business deal is where you give as the provider, you give more than they're expecting and you are fairly compensated. And I think that's in general what we're doing for people. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, I know we're getting a little bit short on time, but I do want to, um, well, A, I want to encourage people to go and look at your website. If for nothing else, to look at some of the videos that you've done, um, they're absolutely stunning. They're such high, they have such high production quality. Um, I was, I was pretty much blown away. I watched the, the Dear Daughter line of books and, um, yeah, I, I, I would love to incorporate something like that on my own website. I think it's just stunning. But the other thing that I want to, to make sure that the listeners know is that you do a blog roundup. Um, so can you talk just a little bit about that? Sure. I do a biweekly blog roundup that really is anything life story, first person, biography, memory keeping um, in those themes. And it's a really great opportunity for other people in the industry, whether they are video storytellers or uh, if they make books or even if they just do oral histories. If you are out there and you're blogging on any of these topics, um, I'm happy to include you in the roundup. And it's also just a really great place to get your news. I think that one of my strengths from the magazine world is curating. And I love kind of looking at what's out there and picking out what I think might be of interest to other people. So the links that you would get are of great value to your own uh, website SEO. 
And then just as a reader as and as a fellow colleague within this industry, I think it's a great place to, I'm trying to make it anyway, a great place to get your news and kind of get your fix on, on some great first person storytelling. Absolutely. And just to add to that, you include, you don't just include blog articles, you include tweets, you include videos, pretty much anything that can come across a computer screen, it seems like, and it has something to do with life story, you, you have it on this roundup. Um, and, and I think it's a wonderful service. You touched a little bit on, on the SEO benefit. It's not an SEO benefit to you. It's an SEO, the search engine optimization benefit to the people whose links you're sharing. And um, in case in case people don't realize if you have a website and you want to increase the chances of it ranking when somebody does a Google search, any backlinks, so um, something that links to something on your website increases your, um, your visibility with Google. Um, so that's something that's a, you know, a little hidden benefit that you are giving to the people involved in life story business. And, um, I'm not even sure that people even realize that. I know I tried to point it out at various times, but I I think, you know, everyone who's in this business is at a different level uh, and uses different media to market themselves. So there aren't that many people that I am following. There are a handful that are using, say, Twitter or Instagram. Um, and those are usually those links I just include because I think they're fun and I'm active on those platforms. But um, the, the blogging, some people think, oh, I just have to do it or they might do it periodically. And you mentioned that there's no SEO benefit for me. I think the SEO benefit is for both, honestly. Um, It's definitely better for (laughs) the inbound links for the people I'm linking to. But I'm having the opportunity to write about all of this rich life story, memoir, biography. I'm using a lot of keywords in these roundups. So it is helping me as well. I I wouldn't do it... um, if it weren't worthwhile, and I find it worthwhile just enjoyably, uh, it's a fun thing for me to do. And I'm out there reading all of this stuff anyway. So sharing it is a nice little side benefit, right, I guess. Right. Okay, just and we won't get too deep into this. But where what are some of the keywords that you're using? Uh, I'm not, I don't know that I, I think you can look at my site and figure <laughs> it out. I I will say I'm very free with sharing my wisdom and business um, opinions. But I I found no one doing that. And I spent, I don't know, probably at this point, hundreds of hours researching keywords. Right. Um, it's paying off for me now. My inquiries have become significantly more through organic search. Mm. Um, but I do think it's something each person needs to sort of figure out. But you can look at my site, and particularly those roundups, you'll see the phrases I'm using over and over. Uh, they need to be long tail key phrases. So not just the word memoir, but how to write my memoir or um, memoir writing for non-writers. I am just throwing things out there. These are not that I use all the time, but. um, And just to explain in case people don't know. So when we're talking about keywords and key phrases, that's what a person types in to a search engine. So if you go onto Google, what you type in, that would be um, on the whosoever site comes up top. That's what they are using as a keyword. And you put it right. within your website, you put it at key places on blog posts and things like that. And that makes um, Google be able to find you. Exactly. And then you want to make sure you're finding the right people too, right? We mentioned earlier that I put my prices on my site. 
And another business reason behind that was you're kind of putting people into a funnel to kind of eventually be your customer. And my website is, as much as I'm inviting people in, I'm also getting people out of that funnel if they're not my target customer. So it was hard for me in the beginning when I was relying primarily on SEO because I was getting a lot of people who were completely outside of my price range. Um, but it's hard when you love what you're doing and you want to hear these people's stories to kind of just say, oh, I can't work with you. Right, right. <laughs> time, is, time is worth a lot of money. So it, it was sucking up a lot of my time. So that's another reason for that, to, to make the SEO a little more effective, that I won't get the calls from the people, hopefully, that are not my true customer. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a very important. It should be an important part of anybody's strategy because like you said, we all have a finite amount of time. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're not willing to do things at really, really low prices or, you know, if, if you know exactly what the product is that you're trying to sell and how much work goes into it and how much you need to, um, how much of an investment it needs to be on the client's part, then there's no reason to be trying to cast the net too wide. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been wonderful, Dawn. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, I'll put links on the the uh, show notes. But where do they go to find you? I think my website is the main place. So it's modernheirloombooks.com. And then my social media accounts, I'll link from there as well. So I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. I was going to ask you that I forgot I was I meant to ask you that because you have you seem to have such a, a strong sense of, of, you know, the visual is very important for your works and, and what you do. And I've don't know how to use Instagram. I've never been on it. But it seems like that might be a very good medium for um, for people who are more drawn in by the, the visual element. Is that right? I think so. I I won't say that I'm really using Instagram as a selling tool at this point, but because it's something that I like, uh, so I don't find spending a little time there uh, to be daunting. I enjoy it. I have met really great creative professionals with whom I have networked. And there's a whole community, particularly of creatives, um, that I've benefited from. So for me, both Twitter and Instagram are less me marketing to a consumer and more marketing to fellow business people. So if there, if I have multiple books at once and I'm using a designer, a lot of the people I tap are from my magazine days, but I've just met some great people that way as well. Mm. And, and I've gotten a little interest here and there in products, but I would not advocate necessarily using those as primary means of selling. Okay. Yeah, well, that's a good heads up. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing with us and, and talking to us about um, everything that you're doing at Modern Heirloom Books. It was a real pleasure. I, I really am enjoying this podcast, and I hope we can get the word out to particularly young life storytellers who are just starting. I think it's it's an invaluable resource. So thank you for doing Well, that. thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, take care. All right. Thank you. And that does it for our interview with Dawn Rood of Modern Heirloom Books. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun talking to her. I really liked hearing about her specialty book for brides. I think there's so many ideas for having a niche market, and we just need to be creative. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is because I get to talk to all of you, all of my peers and colleagues, about the creative ways you're approaching life story. And it just makes me better at doing what I'm doing and gives me lots of ideas and 
inspiration. So I appreciate all of you who talk to me and any feedback that you give me. Um, I'll have links in the show notes to the things that we mentioned and where you can find Dawn. So just head over to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 30. And as always, if the show was helpful, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. That's the best way for others to learn about the show and to learn about life story, business and life story in general. I appreciate any and all comments either in the show notes or on iTunes. I hope that this has given you some ideas that you can take back and grow your own business. And I look forward to next time. Until then, go out and save someone's story.